Amen. How many of you know God's good this morning? Hallelujah. And that's what you're going to hear about if you come to Grace Point Church, the goodness of God. Why? Because the Bible said it is the goodness of God that leads men to repent. Now, the church needs to know what repent means. It means to think differently. So when you get a revelation of God's goodness, it causes you to think differently, first, about God, secondly, about yourself, third, about others. Amen? Amen. Today, we're entitling this, Whose Righteousness? Just whose righteousness are we talking about when we hear the word righteousness? Whose righteousness? And uh, we're going to look in Romans chapter 10 and verse 3. Paul's writing, and he says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness. What happens when somebody is ignorant of God's righteousness? And it could be just like I was raised for many years, many years in the church. Um, Listen, my prayer for you is that you don't have to wait decades like I did as a Christian to come into the revelation of whose righteousness we're talking about here. Because I really didn't know. I always had this feeling of, you know, that I was trying to please God. And how do you know when you have? And even a lot today, a lot of times I still hear Christians will say to me, well, Brother Dale, I, you know, I just want to please the Lord. Well, how's that working for you? Let me know when you feel like you've achieved it. And I want to know what benevolent act you did that made you think that now you're pleasing to the Lord. What did you do? What did you sacrifice? What good deed? See, that doesn't exist. So that game you're playing, trying to please God, you'll never never please God because you're trying to please him. So stop trying to please God and stop perpetuating that saying in the church family, well, I just want to please the Lord. You can't. There's not anything you could offer God that would please God. You look like that's bad news. But the good news is somebody's already pleased God for you, and his name is Jesus. And if you'll put your confidence in what Jesus has accomplished, because God put you in Christ when he saved you, right? If any man be in church, excuse me, I misquoted that. I thought it said if any man be in church, he's a new creation. Now, there's some old creations that go to church. But if any man be in Christ, he is, right then, at the time God put you in Christ, he is, she is, a new creation. Creation. Look at the person next to you and tell them you're a creation. You're a new creation. New creation. Not the old creation with a paint job. You're a new creation in Christ. Why did God place you in Christ when he saved you? Why was that an act of of God during salvation? God put you in Jesus so he could treat you like Jesus. And so the next time somebody says to you, I just want to please the Lord, tell them, well, let me ask you a question. Is God pleased with Jesus? I said, I'm asking you the question now. Is God pleased with Jesus? You really think God's pleased with Jesus? Is God ever unpleased with Jesus? 
Well, God put you in Jesus so he could treat you like Jesus, so God will never be unpleased with you. Okay? So that, that's the truth. But a lot of, and why? Because your righteousness was gifted to you. And if you're ignorant of that, then verse 3 says, you will seek to establish your own righteousness. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, that is the sheer definition there of religion. Religion is man's attempt to make himself righteous and acceptable to God. And it says, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. You've got to submit to God's righteousness. And if you don't submit to it, then you're rebelling. You've got to give up trying to save yourself and trying to make yourself acceptable to God based on what you do. Now, most Christians would say we're saved by grace through faith. Amen. But once they're saved, then they go back to thinking that God's relating to them based on their performance. And whether they admit that in words or not, they, 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 they admit that in their conduct. If you're suffering with guilt, any level of guilt or condemnation today, you are ignorant of God's righteousness. That is the root of all guilt and condemnation that a believer suffers from. The only way that you can be suffering from guilt and condemnation and fear of punishment is because you are ignorant of God's righteousness. You've got your supposedly good works mixed in there together. Jesus said you can't do it. It's an all or nothing proposition. You've got to be all in or all out. Amen? So, Father, we love you. And we are so thankful that we are loved by you. I pray today that, that your word would deliver us from lies of religion. That your word would divide, separate soul from spirit, pierce deep within our hearts. And Father, I pray today that we would see you as you truly are. That we will see you as the God that we have sung about, that you're good, so good. It's your goodness leads us to think differently about everything. So I pray today that this church would be edified, built up, strengthened, encouraged. And I pray that Jesus Christ, our Savior, would be glorified by everything that's done in Jesus' name. Amen. Shake somebody's hand. Give them a big smile. Tell them welcome to Grace Point Church before you sit down. Come on. How many knows that Jesus was real good at dropping truth bombs? You know what a truth bomb? You know what that is, right? Jesus was the master of doing that. And in his first inaugural sermon, it's called the Sermon on the Mount by many. It begins in Matthew chapter 5. It's a rather lengthy sermon that went on for quite some time. But he starts in Matthew 5, and he just had truth bombs going off all through that. And he's speaking to the Jewish people that are under the law. And he is, he is dropping these truth bombs on them. And one of the ones that he did actually comes over in the second chapter or the following chapter in Matthew 6 and 33. And Jesus made this statement. Now, a lot of Christians quote this verse because in the context of this verse right there, they were talking about having your needs met, having things met in your life, common needs, things you need. To us, it would be having your, your bills paid and your, 
money to buy groceries or what, whatever, what you're going to wear, that kind of thing. And that's kind of the context. But Jesus in this one verse says, but seek first the kingdom of God. In other words, he said, don't seek after all that stuff, but seek first the kingdom of God. And we forget this part. And what? Whose righteousness? That's the title of this message. Whose righteousness are we talking about? God says to seek first his righteousness. And then he said, all these things that you're worried about, you're concerned about, shall be added to you. Now, a lot of times we're trying to get God to add to our righteousness, which we have none. But religion can deceive us to think, make us think that we actually have some, and we don't. And so go to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul, again, he's telling us about the gospel. And that's what I'm telling you right now. The gospel means what? Good news. So I'm giving you good news. I'm not giving you good news mixed in with bad news. Somebody says to me sometimes, well, why don't you talk about, you know, the bad things and this and that? Because that's not good news. God told me to preach the good news. You got a TV, you can watch bad news anytime you want to. They, they play it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Just get all you want. Some of us probably do need to dial down. I hardly watch any news, to be honest with you, quit that many years ago. It wasn't helping me at all. I've got enough media devices. I'll keep up with the big things that happen. Okay? Paul said in verse 16 of Romans 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. The gospel is the power. Politics is not the power. Nothing else is the power. The gospel's the power. It's the power for what? To salvation for everyone who believes. So you get saved by believing. He says, the Jew first and then also the Greek. That's the rest of us, Gentiles, if you're not born Jew. For in, look at it, in it, in what? What's the it here? The gospel. For in it, the righteousness of who? Uh, the righteousness of God is what? See, now, you have to have, you, the righteousness of God has to come to you as a revelation. It actually has to be revealed to you. There's a lot of Christians that have not received the revelation of the righteousness of God. Now, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, that him who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So, in other words, God took your sin. Okay, Jesus took, Jesus who knew no sin, he had no relationship with sin, no contact with sin. He had never sinned, ever sinned. He never sinned. You with me? Where did he get his sin? Him who knew no sin became sin. All I can tell you is what the Bible says. He became sin. So where did he get sin? Our sin. The sin of the world. So he took on the sin of the world. So him who had no relationship with sin, had never sinned, was sinless, took on the sin of the world, which includes yours and mine. Right? So Jesus was made sin, but not from his very own sinning. So Jesus did not commit an act, therefore, get, no. So with no sin, if you want to say it in a weird way, he was gifted sin. It was just handed to him. He accepted it. So that we might become the righteousness of God. All right? So where do we get our righteousness from? From, it was gifted to us. 
The Bible in Romans 5 actually says that righteousness is a gift. It actually uses the word free gift. It's like it wasn't enough for God to say it's a gift. He wants you to know it's a gift, which is free. If it ain't free, it's not a gift. But then he puts the word free in front of the word gift. It is the free gift. That's double enunciating that this thing is not anything. It's not by works, lest any man should boast. But it is the gift of God. Salvation is a gift from God. But what happens in that gift that we are ignorant of is that now we have been gifted this righteousness of God. He gifted it to you. And the reason, guys, that this is so important, and I talk about it a lot here, is because, again, if you are ignorant of this, you're going you're, you're gonna to suffer from guilt and condemnation every moment. You're going to always be straining trying to get God to be pleased with you, to accept you. to And, and, and your language, the things you say, the things you pray will, will actually reveal how you perceive God and whether you're ignorant of it. And if you're ignorant of it, Paul said uh, in our text, Romans 10, 3, if you're ignorant of it, then what's, that's, what you're going to do is start trying to seek to establish your own righteousness. And then you're not submitting to the righteousness of God. You're in rebellion to it. So Jesus dropped a major truth bomb on them again in Matthew chapter 5 when he said in verse 20, Matthew 5 and 20, he says, For I say to you, now he's talking to the Jews, and you got the scribes and the Pharisees there, and you got the people there. But this is what he says. He says, Now I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Truth bomb. Now, the Jews thought that the scribes and the Pharisees, which they were by religious standard, were the most righteous humans on the planet. They fasted twice a week. They paid tithe. They did all these religious things. They made long prayers in public places. They wore special garments. They did all these things, and they were involved. And if it wasn't for the scribes, I wouldn't even have a Bible to preach out of today. So we do owe them, you know, blessings for that. But Jesus blew their minds when he said, all you guys listen to me. You've got to be more righteous than these guys. And he put it so clear. And if you're not more righteous, if your righteousness does not exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means go to heaven. Can I tell you everybody wasn't shouting amen? <laughs> Preach it, Jesus, when he did that. They were sad. They were looking like some of you. <laughs> they were really sad. You know what their, what their hearts were doing about then? Well, who can be saved? I'm I'm in despair. This is impossible. You know, th this, this thing is probably best illustrated by a story in the Old Testament. And in Daniel chapter 5, there is a king, Belshazzar. He is actually, he's king of Babylon, and he is the son of King Nebuchadnezzar. You remember that guy? Nebuchadnezzar had a real hard time understanding that he wasn't all that in a bag of chips by himself. And so one day he boasts about how great he was and just almost declared himself as God did. 
And the word of the Lord came to him. Now, this is during the Old Covenant. This is during the law. But the word of the Lord came to him, and, and, and so he lost his mind that very day. And he was, he was deposed from his kingly position, and he was driven out of the palace. And for seven years, he lived like a wild animal until his fingers, nails, the Bible said, grew long like bird claws and uh, his hair was wet from the dew of many nights and, and he ate grass in the field like an animal. And his hair was like eagle's feathers, it said, until the day that his mind came back to him by a gift from God. It's called an Old Testament attitude adjustment. <laughs> and as soon as his mind came back, he made a declaration and a proclamation that God alone, the God of Israel, is the only God that there is. And he commanded everybody to serve him. That brother had to change a heart. But like so many, his kids didn't get it. And they didn't pay attention. And so now we got his son, Belshazzar, ruling Babylon. Now one thing Nebuchadnezzar did is he captured Jerusalem. And he took the gold and the silver articles from the temple that they used to worship God with. And they had just kept them in storage. But Belshazzar had a party one night. And he told his servants to go get those golden and silver vessels out of the temple that were consecrated and used to serve the Lord and, and sacrifice and bring them to me. And he poured wine for all of his nobles. And, and they were just drinking wine and, and out of the, out of the uh, golden vessels of the temple. And just, it, it, was, it was just like flaunting it in the face of God. Well, that's when God stepped in. And appeared on the wall, the plaster wall of that palace, it says, a man's hand appeared with his finger. And he began to write, many, many, tikal. And he wrote this strange wording and language and, 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 and it just tear. And the Bible says that Belshazzar's countenance immediately changed. Yours would change, mine would change if I saw a man's hand appear and start writing on the sheetrock wall in my house. They couldn't figure it out. Long story, the wife of the king, the queen says, oh, king, live forever. There's a guy here. He really helped your dad out. <laughs> His name's Daniel. He's still alive. Send for him. He can help you to understand what this means. So they went and got Daniel, and the king told Daniel, listen, any man that can figure this out, man, I'm going to make him third in rulership of the kingdom. I'm going to give you a purple robe, put a gold chain around your neck. Daniel said, listen, man, keep your gifts for yourself. But he said, I will, by God, interpret that for you. And what it means is, is you have, you're, the days of your kingdom, he said, are numbered. You have been weighed in the balance, and you have been found wanting. You say, well, how, what's that got to do with this? That's the way it is any time when you and I are weighed on the scales. God's righteousness versus our righteousness you and I will come up wanting. We are in the same predicament as Belshazzar. We are found lacking and we are found wanting. You say, well, who then can be saved? It, it, that's not fair. I can't compete with God's righteousness. That's my point. Exactly. So why don't you stop doing it? Well, I'm not. Your mouth your prayers and your actions say otherwise. 
And I want you to walk in the freedom that Jesus died to give us. And so if you're that person to say, well, I'm just trying to please the Lord, you are ignorant of God's righteousness. I'm, I'm not being mean about that. I'm just telling you the truth. I didn't write it. God says that there are people, if you're ignorant of his, you're going to try to establish yours. Now, I was, the school just got, got started back. I heard about a teacher, not here in Lowndes County, but a teacher that <clears throat> was going to try to teach that day to her students, uh, elementary students, about, about uh, you know, just self-esteem, self-esteem. And she said to him, she said she thought she would start, so she rose from her seat and she stood before her class and she said, uh, I'm, I'm going to teach a lesson today, and the first thing I want to do, I want to ask this class a question. Do any of you in here feel like that you're dumb? And if you feel that you're dumb, I want you to stand to your feet. Well, she knew that nobody would stand among, you know, the class. And she just wanted to launch from there and start her teaching on self-esteem. Well, to her shock, a little boy just rose to his feet. And she's like, oh, God, no, it's, this is going to, you know, it's going to scar him. You know, I've really messed up here. And uh, his name was Samuel. And she said, uh, Samuel, um, do you really feel dumb, like that you're dumb? He said, no, ma'am. She said, well, why are you, why are you standing? He said, well, I, she, Samuel said, I just didn't want you to be the only one standing. <laughs> Sometimes our perception of how the lesson's going to go, it don't always turn out like we think it's going to go. But if I ask you, how many of you feel like you're righteous? Stand to your feet, and I hadn't prepped you with all this talk already. I don't think everybody would have stood to their feet. Because you know what you were basing it on? How you feel or how you've performed. None of this is to say God doesn't care anymore about how you live your life. Just do anything you want to, sin, you know, at will, whatever. And it's just not a big deal. You shouldn't do that because it's just not smart to sin because it hurts. But as far as God's concerned, that's not your issue. Your issue is unbelief. And so when, when you get this, I, I preached Friday night. Uh, and Marta, you having to hear a little bit. <laughs> she was over so sweet. Uh, Marta come over there and support us at the Evans Memorial Camp. And uh, speak, uh, spoke over there, preached over there Friday night. I had a, had a wonderful time with those guys. But, um, and, and that's, what, that's what I talked about because some of them are graduating today. I think three of them, those men. And to me, the most important thing is they begin that life now is to know their identity and be rooted in the fact that no matter what happens, they're righteous inside in their spirit man. Now, if you don't have an understanding of spirit, soul, and body, this is going to be really confusing to you. But the Bible says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new what? Creation. Everybody say creation. creation. Uh, so a creation is created. Well, that's what happened to you when you got born again. God didn't take the old you, you know, and buff it and paint it, you know, and stick you back out there. The old you was crucified at the cross with Christ. That's what the Bible teaches me and Jimmy know that. I don't think none of the rest of you, he's the only one to say amen. But the old you, the old man, the Bible calls it, was crucified with Christ. So when you start talking to me about a lot of things, a lot of you are talking to me out of the old man. 
Well, I have a bad temper. Well, I have this. I have that. You know, and a few times in my life, I've been doing this 34 years, I've told people, I said, hold up, hold up. I don't really like talking to dead people. And they just look at me like I've just kind of lost it. And they, they don't even say nothing. They're just looking like poor pastors flipping out right here. And, and I said, they said, I don't understand what you're talking about. I said, you're t- everything that you just said, all the things you just said about yourself, that's the old you. I thought you told me you were saved. Well, I am. Well, I said, you're not talking like it. And out of your mouth comes the things that you believe in your heart. So you're saying, I got this, I got that, I got this. That's your old man. That guy got crucified. You were born again. You need to start talking out of the new man. You need to start talking from your new identity. You need to start living out of the revelation that you're righteous. The hardest thing when I made this turn and lined up with the Bible, because, see, you don't get saved My wife, she likes listening to Brother Joel every now and then while she's getting ready. You good looking thing. And uh, <laughs> anyway, focus still. I thought she was looking good today, I'll tell you that. Uh, but um, I'm derailing myself. <laughs> but she couldn't get the sound going on on the TV there or something. She, she doesn't work well with electronics and stuff that aggravates her. But anyway, so I got it fixed. And really, I, by the time I got it fixed, one and you had like one minute left of his message. And, and, and he always ends the same. Listen, this is no slam to him, you know, nothing. But jokingly, I said to my wife, you know, because at the end, he always ends the same. And, you know, it, you know, if you want to get saved, you know, we want you to get saved. And just say this prayer, you know, Father, I repent of my sins. You know, I'm a sinner and, and, and I receive you. And I just walked by the TV, you know, and I said, well, even Joel, you know, is Biggest church in America. Even Joel don't know how to get people saved according to the Bible. But in spite of us, they're still getting saved. And I'm not saying their salvation is not valid. I got saved under that same auspice. But that's foreign to Scripture, New Testament. Nobody gets saved by confessing the sin. How a, how a person is saved is by confessing Jesus. No one has ever been saved by confessing sin. You can only be saved, according to Romans chapter 10, by confessing the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You confess Jesus to be saved. You don't confess sin to be saved. Right? That's what the Bible teaches. So the chapter 10, you hear me say it all the time. You probably get sick of it. Hey, you know, I can't rewrite the book. In chapter 10, it teaches you how to get people saved. They believe in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, unto righteousness. Never does the word sin appear, right? See, we got to get that. And then, of course, I always carry your second proof text is uh, Acts 16, Paul and Silas in jail. The power of God is demonstrated, and the jailer asked Paul, this great apostle, what must I do to be saved? Paul never mentioned the word sin. There is a reason. Because that's not your issue. The church has taught you it's your issue. I read something even today or yesterday 
It says the number one, this was a religious person or a writer, well known. He said the number one problem is that it is sin. <laughs> he just doesn't get it. Jesus apparently did not take away the sin of the world. He either did or he didn't. And if he did, that's not your problem. The problem of man is not their sin. It's not their adultery, their lying, the fornicating, cheating, thugging, mugging, any, none of that. Listen to me. Here, here goes a truth bomb for you. This is another sermon, but I'll just throw this out to aggravate you. Nobody will go to hell for lying, for cheating, for committing adultery, for murdering, for doing anything like that. Nobody, none of those sins will send anyone to hell. Now, I know right now some of you just hangs in the church for a long time. You, you're thinking about a verse in Revelation that all liars, so I'll go ahead and bring it up so it saves you the trouble sending me an email. All liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. But that, it doesn't say that, that that's why they went there is because liars. But, yeah, there will be people that will be in the lake of fire that will be liars. But that's not why they're there. They're still considered liars because they never accepted Jesus that changed their life and removed all of that. There's only one sin that ever sends people to eternal separation from God, and that is the sin of unbelief, of not believing in Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life to the Father. That, that, that's it. That's the truth. And, and we put so much emphasis. Now, I'm not saying it's, you know, thugging, lying, mugging, cheating, stealing, lying. All, I'm not saying all that's not a big deal. Don't, it hurts everybody involved. But we're talking about eternity here. So let's get it right. What sends people is their unbelief. So when that Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? Paul didn't say, confess your sins. For all of you that think that, see, and this is, this is where the troubling thing, and I don't have time to unpack all this. But, you know, a lot of us got saved when they was playing on the piano just as I am without one plea. In many churches back in the day, that was the standard altar call song, right? And, and, and it is today in many churches, just as I am without one plea. And so although that many of us were saved on that song, so to speak, while it was played, you come into God just as you are. You don't have any plea. Don't say nothing. Just accept him, Right? But that's the last time they play it. My point is that you have to play that song every day of your life when you walk out your door to face this world. Because it's still just as I am without one plea. And Paul said that in Galatians and taught it very clearly to them. He said, now how is it that you've begun in the spirit and now you're going to try to finish this thing in the flesh? He said in Colossians, the same way that you received the Lord, so now they walk therein. So in other words, the same faith that it took when you accepted God without making a plea is the same faith and grace that you walk in every day of your life and is how you walk in your relationship with God. So your relationship to God and with God is unaffected by these things that we have told people that they are because we're trying to use uh, rules and regulations to wrangle people in and make them live right and it never works. It's a heart issue, and it's not something you do in action that changes people's lives. It's a heart issue. And the church, we have failed to maintain it as a heart issue. You change a man's heart, you'll change a man's actions. You don't change his heart, his actions will keep going right back to his old actions. 
You'll never change a person's behavior until you change their belief system. When you change their belief system, their behavior will automatically change. You'll never get a person, the reason that people are addicted to whatever, it doesn't matter, it can be drugs or bluebell ice cream, it don't make no difference, but you, you, it's what you believe. And your belief system has to change. It, 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 there's something that in your, what you believe about whatever has to be changed by the truth. And once you accept it as truth, then it changes your conduct. And we believe in good works, and we believe in showing forth, and we believe in all these things, but we're not basing our relationship to God based on those things. Am I making any sense to you? So, so the, the truth bomb is this. Sin is not the issue. The church sees sin as something that God can forgive. The Bible's New Testament sees sin as something that God has forgiven. That is a huge difference in theology. If you think that your relationship with God, now listen, now is contingent upon your daily confessing your sins, you can't win that. Secondly, now salvation and the burden of staying saved has been placed on your shoulders. And you will never have a moment of peace or serenity, or any kind. Because you understand what sin is? The Bible says whatsoever is not of faith is sin. You're telling me that, that see, sin is not just an act. It's something you do. Whatsoever you do that is not based in faith is a sin. Are you confessing those? Nah, you don't confess that. When you go down, you confess this. Oh, God, please forgive. You never, you never... No, you don't ever confess those. You can't even keep up with them. You don't even know when you did it. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him that is <laughs> that was weak, man, that's weak. To him that knows to do good and don't do it, that's sin. Do you confess that one? No, you don't. You just confess when you flip off that driver or cuss them out or talk about their mama. Or whatever. Because you see that as a bad sin. I wouldn't. No, no. The good that you should do. Just, just being focused on yourself and ignoring the pain all around you. That's sin. You're telling me you're living your life trying to keep your slate clean every day just in case the rapture happens? And what if you didn't have time to run down your list and you was busy at work dealing with them people? And you was going to clean the slate, you know, like that night before you got into bed. You know, as I lay me down to sleep, Lord, please forgive me for all the people I want to kill today or whatever. And the rapture happens and you didn't get to clean your slate. What does that mean with you then? Do you go to heaven? No. Nah, I mean, do you have to be sitting at the remedial school in heaven? or what? I mean, what's the deal? <laughs> uh, anybody besides me had to take a few remedial classes when you went to college? That's like, you're so dumb that you... We got, you actually didn't finish high school, so we got to go back and do that. And then you connect. But you're at college, but it don't count. But you'll feel like you're doing something. But you got to take a remedial. <laughs> There's not going to be any remedial stuff in heaven, guys. It's not going to be there. And so what I'm trying to get you to, to see 
is that the righteousness is a gift. And so Jesus gifted you his righteousness. Now what we do as believers, we live out of that revelation. And, and Paul actually said this in Galatians 5 and 4. He said to those guys that were trying to, to keep their self saved, so to speak, he said an amazing thing, Galatians 5, 4, you have become estranged or divorced or separated from Christ. You who attempt to be justified, the word justified is the same Greek word made righteous. You, you're trying to be justified or made righteous by law, you have fallen from grace. You have fallen from grace. Now, what is the world's definition of a believer falling from grace? Slept with somebody, stole something, whatever, Right? That's how the news, they fell from grace. This baseball player fell from grace. This person fell from grace. But the Bible definition of falling from grace is you go back to trying to please God with the, with the law. Now, I've had people say, well, you're not, you might not be under law, you know, grace preacher, but you're not above it. Yes, I am. I'm way above it. I, I'm light years above it. The law is, the, 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 the grace of God is, is a high lofty place. And when you step away from grace, you have fallen from grace because you go back to a lower standard that could never save man. Are you with me? And I want to tell you this. I'm ending with this. If you don't understand this truth, this is why this is so extremely important. If you don't understand this truth, then again, the root of the guilt that you're dealing with, the condemnation that you're dealing with is caught up in this right here. Uh, Satan's only inroad into our lives is, is not believing in what Jesus accomplished and gifted us in that righteousness. So to me, the hardest thing for me was when I got this revelation, and by the way, the word confess, and I know I've told you before, but the word confess is, means to agree with God, right? To agree with God. So Romans 10 is talking about confessing. But now when you say the word confess or confessing, confession, to a Christian, what do they think of first? Come on, be honest with me. As soon as they hear the word confession, what do they think? Sin. Catholic church, confession booth, whatever. What do they go in there to do? Confess sin. Okay, you did this sin, that sin there, and let's see, let's calculate that up. We're going to have to say 50 Hail Marys to get that one cleared up. Whatever. You know? No. Jesus is already clear. You, you believe. And so to me, the hardest thing was because when I would fail as a believer, and you will, the Bible says this. Listen, and I've told you this before. Every promise in the Bible is for the righteous. If you're not righteous, it's not for you. If you're not righteous, God has nothing for you. The prayers of a righteous man accomplishes what? What does the prayers of an unrighteous person accomplish? Nothing. So if you feel unrighteous, guess how non-powerful your prayer life is? The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times. Now, how's this guy falling if he's righteous? Same way you fell after you've been born again because you're still righteous, but you still have the capacity to fall. You have lost the capacity to enjoy your falls. You can still sin. You're just not as good at it as you used to be when you was a sinner. Right? When saints sin, it's just not as fun as when sinners sin. Some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so a righteous man falls seven times, but he does what? Y'all better talk to me. 
He gets back up again. He gets back up. Why do not people that fall in their walk with God, why do some of those people not get back up again? Why do they leave God, leave the church, leave the family, say, you know, the heaven with it in reverse? Why? Why? Because they do not know what I'm trying to teach you this morning. If a person knew that in spite of what they are done, it has not changed their righteousness, they would get back up again. I said they would get back up again. They wouldn't give up. They would get up. They would, they, they would get back up. Oh, yeah, they'll fall. They'll make mistakes like we all have. They'll sin, but, but they'll get back up again because they know that it has not changed how God views them, how God loves them, how God cares for them. And they know that it has not changed their righteousness because the righteousness they've gotten was not achieved, but it was received. It was a free gift given to them by God. God gifted it to them. And if it was a gift, God would never take it back from them. God didn't gift it to them based on their performance, and he will not remove the gift based on their performance. So, okay, now, now what should that believer do so that he does not or she does not suffer from guilt, shame, and condemnation when they have fallen. This is the, this is the remedy that most churches and, and, and give folks. Okay, so when a believer falls and they fall into sin, the first thing they tell them to do is to confess that sin as if they didn't know they did it. That is not only not biblical not only is it unwise you actually are putting chains and shackles on them so how should we bring deliverance to people that have fallen you get them to confess their sin no they're already familiar with their sin so they're good on that what what you need to teach them to do and what we need to practice in our own lives is we confess jesus we confess specifically our righteousness that was gifted, which is his righteousness. His righteousness has become mine. And so to me, this was a tough thing. And, and, and listen to me. When I would do sin as a believer, depending on how I, how I graded it, how I rated it, now there would be times I would really just, you know, do a sin that I thought was, you know, to me a big deal. And I would just feel like a bum. I'd feel lower. I mean, I, I'm, I mean... I feel like dirt. Just be honest, I feel like dirt. There'd be times I'd look at myself in the mirror now and I just hated everything I saw. And I'm a believer. And I hated it. I felt like a piece of trash. Call yourself a preacher. Look at him, what you, you know. Lose your temper. You don't lose it. You just find it and put it on display. I lost him. No, you didn't lose your temper. If you lost it, we wouldn't be talking about it. You found your temper and just displayed it for all to see. Man, I'd feel bad. And so I would be broken. I'd go to the Lord. Lord, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me for that sin. Please forgive me, Father. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Does this, does this sound like anybody's story in here? So I would ask God to forgive me. And then five seconds later, I would ask him to forgive me again. And five seconds later, I would ask him to forgive me. And in that time of wallowing in that sin, I would spend that hour in prayer, and I would ask God 50 times to forgive me. And if I'm real gut level honest with you, I never really felt forgiven. And it would be on me the next day. I would feel less as a bum, 
just because time has gone by, but I would still remember what I did the day before yesterday, and so I would spend a lot of time talking to God about it, wallowing in it, and asking him to please forgive me and not be mad at me. And I, I didn't feel like he was pleased with me at all, and I felt, if anything, he was disappointed in me big time. And people got all kind of wordage that they used for that. You know, Lord took his hand off of you. Oh, you've lost your relationship. You're, you got to come, you know, all that kind of stuff. None of that's in the Bible. Now, let me ask you this. Has anybody in here besides me ever asked God more than once? In other words, you ask God to forgive you of a sin, but you ask him twice for the same sin or more? Anybody besides me, I'd like to see a hand so just know if I'm just the weirdest dude in the room. But any, so, okay, so I, hey, y'all my family. Y'all my peoples. These are my peoples. Why did we do that? Why did we ask a God who is supposed to forgive if we confess is what they told you? Why did we ask him twice to forgive us of the same thing? Because we didn't believe he forgave us the first time. We didn't believe we were forgiven. We thought we had to do some penance. We thought we had to agonize in it. We thought we had to pay the price. We, whatever. God can't go back and forgive you of what he's already forgiven you of. So your sin and my sin was forgiven 2,000 years ago. What God wants you to do is when you sin is to believe that you're already forgiven. Confess who you are in him. Confess that righteous and rise and get back up righteous man who has fallen because you're still righteous and get up and go on. And start, and, and listen, and stop being a hypocrite. And start living to the true identity that Jesus gifted you when you were born again. And live out of the revelation of who you are in your spirit, man, and not in what the circumstances surround you or what you did. You are not what you did. You, you are who Jesus says you are. Do you understand? I did this little, amen. Go ahead, praise God. That's a good plot, spot to praise him. All right, listen. I, I put this thing up, and every weekend we're putting up something right before Sunday trying to just, you know, just to spur people on and, and, you know, inviting them to this church, basically, on Facebook and media and so forth. And I don't know if you saw one we put up this weekend, but it says you're born for more. Born for more. And that's the truth. And, and I wrote that. I just said no matter, you know, where you are, what you have gone through in your life, your story has not ended. God still has a hope and a future for you. Because you didn't, you, you're not strong enough to end God's plan for your life. And, and, and so, you know, Joseph, we talk about in the Bible, that guy went through a whole lot of stuff. But, he, you know, he had a little baby brother, Benjamin. And when Benjamin was being born, Jacob's wife went into hard labor with him and she died. And in the process of her dying, giving birth to him, she told the midwife by her side, all this is in the Bible, she said, call, name him uh, Benoniah, which means the son of my sorrow. And when Jacob got there, his wife was dead. He's got a baby boy to raise without his mama. And the midwife said in her dying words were to name him Benoniah. Probably with tears in his eyes, he said, his wife's dead, he's just to bury her, but he said, I will not name my son Benoniah. I will name him Benjamin. Benjamin. Benjamin, the son of my right hand. 
the son of my power. And you know what it means? The son of five times. Joseph was a double portion son. But grace is five. The number for grace is five. He, Benjamin is five times anything else that anybody ever got. And, and listen to this point. The point is the earth, this world, that's your mama. No offense, ladies. I'm speaking in symbolism there. That's your mama. Don't let the pain that's happened to you name you. Do you think Bartimaeus' first name on his birth certificate is blind? You think his mama named him blind Bartimaeus? No. Who named him blind? The world did. So much so that that became his name. My granddaddy accidentally, one, when I was just a little guy and I was in the first or first, second grade, he, he fell with a shotgun and, 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 and lost his left hand. And I don't even really remember him with both his hands because I was just such a little guy. And so he just, he didn't have a left hand. And you know how as time went along, and even since I've been grown, people that still remember him refer to him, they would say, oh, you mean the one-armed preacher? Because my granddad was a, was a preacher. They mean, you mean the one-armed preacher. Now, what did I tell y'all he lost? His what? So he, all he lost is from the wrist back. Now, when people would talk about, oh, your granddad was that one-armed preacher. I want to say, heaven, no, he wasn't no one arm. He just lost his hand. You person. You know, that's what the world would do. They will exaggerate it. I was a paramedic for 20 years in Tifton, and of course, in that time, you work a lot of, lot of, lot of things, a lot of accident stuff. But we would work a wreck, <laughs> it, it, and I mean, the next day you would hear just the wildest stories. Oh, it cut them half in two. I mean, it took, it, <laughs> and it would be so far from the truth. My point is the world has a way of exaggerating your pain, the problems that happen to you. But don't allow the world to name you son of sorrow because your father will name you. Your father's got a name for you. And it's not what the world names you. So you've got to let God name you. You've got to let God be the one. And so you've got to get your identity. And your identity is by birth, not by performance. And so you've got to let God name you. And, and I want to tell you something. God's got a name for you. And you know, one of the last books of the Bible, Revelation, it says this. It says that, that, that you will receive a white stone with your real name on it. Now, I know some of you have been taught that's what you're waiting to get to heaven to get. Like, I want to get in that line where he hands me the white stone. That stone was handed to you when you got born again. And if you don't know what that name is, you just need to hang out with Father and just relax and say, Papa, would you just reveal to me my real name? Because I've been called this and I've been called that and people's called me this, you know. But just, could you, would you help me in, in however you know I need to receive it? I want to know what my real name is. I want to know what my real purpose is. That's what I want to know. I promise you he'll reveal it to you. He won't disappoint you. Do you receive God's word today? Come on, would you stand to your feet? I want my elders to come and home group, small group leaders. Those that are here, come up here. We don't do this out of routine or 
rhetoric. We do this to be here to serve you, to pray with you. Man, if you're listening to this and you're not born again, don't confess your sin. You don't have to. But how about confessing Jesus? And you'll be saved. And secondly, if you're a believer, listen, if you're a believer, you're watching this or you're here, and you're suffering from guilt and condemnation, like you would say Satan's been riding you, <laughs> riding your coat, whatever that deal is. Can I say to you in, in love, to the degree that you feel guilt and condemnation today, believer, listen to me, is to the degree that you are ignorant of the righteousness of God that was gifted to you. And I don't mean that to beat you up. I mean that to lift you up and to build you up. <laughs> My heart is so full of love for you. I, want, I don't want you to live like I did for decades, not knowing him. I, I don't feel like I've arrived, but man, I have sure left the station. I'm not arrived, but I ain't nowhere near where I was. As far as my revelation of his goodness, I used to live under the guilt and the weight of God being disappointed and not pleased and me trying and I really felt like if I read a whole bunch of the Bible one day that he liked me more that day than he did the day that I didn't read no Bible I felt like if I fasted and prayed for three days that he really I was close to him and and then if I didn't I wasn't close and and people would get up and teach lessons to the church on you know how to get close to God and all those things are lies now you listen to me when you do stuff that, that is sin you're not going to feel close to God, but that's in your flesh. And it was such a revelation to me because I was that guy that always tried to get close to God, closer, closer. I want to be so close to you, Lord. Please make me close to you. And I would pray and fast for what I was already gifted, but I was ignorant. I didn't know. Some of you feel so far from God, but I promise you, he is not far from you. He's inside your heart if you've received him. You, you've been placed in him and he in you. Is Christ in you? That's your hope of glory. And it's you in Christ that made you a new creation. Ephesians 4.24 says, Stop thinking like the old man, but put off the old man and put on the new man and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. He says, put on the new man. Listen which was, was, past tense, created, there's that word, created in true righteousness and holiness. When did I get true righteousness and holiness, which was created when you were born again? You were created truly righteous and holy, set apart for God. If you would believe it and live out of that, you would sin far less than you're sinning now. Sin would lose its allure and temptation. Because you would say, that's not who I am. For the grace of God teaches you to say no to ungodliness. This is not a message of just do anything, don't worry about it. This is a message where you'll live you, 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 you'll, you'll, do, you'll sin less on accident than you ever tried to not sin on purpose. You understand what I'm saying? 
And when I got that revelation that I stopped trying to get close to God and that I am eternally closer to God as I'm ever going to be in my spirit. Because Paul said this in Ephesians. He said, uh, once you were away from God, you were lost without hope in this world. You was outside all the commonwealth promises, the blessings of God. You were a sinner. You were away from God. You were far from him. But then he said, but you have been made near by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have been brought nigh to God. You who were far off, were far off, have now been brought nigh, made near to God. And if you don't get anything, if you will just leave here knowing and stop praying ridiculous prayers, I am as close to God in my spirit. In fact, the Bible says you're one spirit. Your spirit was joined with the spirit of Christ. And the Bible says you have now, Paul said, been made one spirit with the Lord. There is one spirit, one faith, one baptism. So you're one. You're telling me that you're still junk and filth and all that and God joined you to Jesus? That would be unfair to Jesus to make him live Christ in you in a house that's filthy and unrighteous and unholy. No way. In your spirit, you've been made one spirit with the Lord. He will never leave you and never forsake you. He's never away from you one millisecond. He's always in you. He's always with you. He's always for you. And when you live out of that, and my prayer is, Father, help me to live out the revelation of what you've done on the inside of me. Help me to live true to my true identity, which is I'm righteous. And so when I would sin, now, if I sin and when I sin, this is what I do. I don't confess that sin. I already know I'm forgiven. I don't even talk to him about it. This is what I do. In that very moment of sin, I say, Father, I thank you that I am the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. I thank you that what I've done has not changed anything. And Father, help me to walk in that revelation of your righteousness gift that you've placed in my spirit, that you've gifted me. And that causes you to step out of that low of sin. and You're, 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 you're not in bondage to it. Does anybody get this? Come on, man. Give God praise. Now you're starting to smile a little bit. I, this, this section here is smiling real good. I like y'all. All, All y'all smiling good over We love you. We really do. And I love these elders. This team is awesome, man. So if you want us to pray with you about anything, it's our honor to do so. If you just want to hurry and get out of here and go eat something, just don't run over nobody, okay? We love you. Please come back next Sunday. Please be involved in the community groups. Make friends. Get connected. You'll have a big time, and you'll learn something along the way. Amen. God bless you. We love you. If you want prayer, please come this way. We love you, Grace Point. God bless you.